Today we have a, a sermon that will be actually the first in a series. Talking about experiences that took place in the upper chamber, in the upper room. And normally when we talk about the, the upper room experience, there is one picture that comes to mind. Anyone, anyone has an idea of, usually when we say the upper room experience, what is the picture that comes to mind? The Last Supper, right? That's, uh, that's the picture that comes to mind. But uh, the Bible actually has a few experiences, has uh, the, the account of a few events that took place in the upper room. Not necessarily in that same upper room, but they took place in the upper rooms of houses in, in the ancient world. And so today we are going to see one of these experiences that took place in the upper chamber, in the upper room. Two weeks from now, we are going to have communion here in the church. And uh, we'll, I will encourage you to prepare for that. And as we gather here for communion, we are going to have another message related to another upper room experience. More specifically, to the Last Supper. And then uh, two weeks after... We are going to have another message pointing to another experience in the upper room as well. And hopefully you'll be able to see the upper room experiences from different perspectives. And that will help us in our walk with the Lord. But before we start, let me pray. Please uh, bow your heads and close your eyes as we ask for God's direction. <clears throat> Let the words of my mouth bring you praise. Let the words that I speak be seasoned with your love and grace. May the things, O oh Lord, that I choose to say Bring glory, not shame, to your name each day. Let the words of my mouth bring you praise. Amen. So, here is the situation. Elijah... Elijah was, uh, we don't know much about Elijah, except that he was a Tishbite, and he was a prophet. But he received a message from God, telling him that he was supposed to announce that there would be three days of famine. And so he did, and of course, when Elijah proclaimed that, the message was not really well received. No one would like to hear this. Imagine a prophet coming and saying, this country is going to suffer uh, famine for three years. And uh, because there will be no rain. I'm saying famine. I should have said rain. Sorry. There will be no rain for three years. And he said, there will not be rain again until I say so. And that message was not well received. But that was the message that the Lord had for him to say. And he so proclaimed that message. And then the Lord came up to Elijah once again and said, Now you go, and I'm going to be taking care of you. You'll be drinking water from a brook, and you'll be eating bread. I'll be providing for you. You don't have to worry about anything. And the Lord gave him the exact location where he was supposed to go. And he went there. 
and he sat next to the, the brook and the, the ravens would bring food for him and he would dr- drink from the brook. But after some time, because there was no rain, the brook dried up. And then the Lord came up to Elijah again and said, Now we are going to go to Zarephath. And there I have a widow that I have prepared this woman to feed you. And she will be taking care of you. And so Elijah obeyed again the voice of the Lord and went to Zarephath in the country of Sidon. And there he gets, and as he is entering the gate of the city, he sees this woman who is a widow. And he, he understood that that was the woman that was going to take care of him. And he talks to the woman and he says, can you give me some water? And the woman quick, quickly goes and grabs some water. And as he's going to, as she's going to get the water, he says, can you give me some bread as well? And the woman says, uh, I'm a widow. I don't have much. I have just a small amount of flour and just a small amount of oil. Actually, I was going of, I was thinking of preparing some bread for me and my son that we might eat and then die because that's all we've got. And Elijah said, okay, that is fine. That sounds like a plan for you. But let me ask you this. You go and take your flour and take the oil and prepare the bread. But actually, before you do that, you prepare a cake and bring it to me so I can be fed. And the woman listens to that and she obeys and she does that. And she goes and prepares the cake and feeds Elijah. But Elijah says something important. He says, because of this... Your oil will never, uh, you'll never have lack of oil or lack of flour. Your uh, barrel of flour will never be spent. And there will always be oil in the jug. And so it happened. It so happened that for many days, they never lacked anything. Until the day that rain came and the supplies uh, were restored. Now, after a certain time, and that's where we enter into the scripture we read today. After a certain time, the son of that widow uh, became terribly ill. And he was so ill, so ill, that the Bible says that there was no breath left in him. And the woman, the woman was not happy, of course, because it was her only son. And, and she calls the prophet, she calls Elijah, and she says... Why have you done this to me? And the Bible indicates that Elijah was actually lodging with the widow and her son. And he was lodging in the upper room, in the upper chamber. And many houses in the, in the ancient uh, world, they had, you know, the, the roof would be uh, made of straw and compacted clay. And they would actually roll uh, over the, with a roll over it so to make it really compact and put some rocks on top of it so it would be stable. And some people would then up on the roof build some walls and make a small room there or maybe even a larger room where people could congregate upstairs or it would be a guest room. And so this woman had this upper room where Elijah was lodging. And the woman comes to Elijah and says, Why have you done this? Now because you were living here with us, maybe you know of something about my life. And, uh, and maybe you have told the gods about that. And now I'm being cursed. 
and my son, my son's life has been taken. Well, Elijah would never confirm that because that was not true. But Elijah turns to the woman and says, give me the son, give me your son. And then he takes the son and he takes him upstairs. And behind locked doors, he would not say that in front of the woman, but he will pray to God and will say, Lord, why have you done this? And so I think think it's called like the circle of blame, right? Uh, Something doesn't go right and people try to find the culprits. And you and you were involved in it. You were involved in the project. You were involved. You're all to blame. And this is no different from what happened there in the garden of Eden. Is it different? No. Because uh, the Lord asks Adam what happened. And Adam says it was the woman that you gave me. And the woman says it was a serpent. And here the, the woman is blaming Elijah. And Elijah is blaming God. Why have you done this? And it's interesting that Elijah says, Why have you done this to the, to, to the woman with whom I lodge? It almost seems as if Elijah is too concerned with his, his own self. He's concerned with preserving his lodging place. He doesn't want to, to fall in disgrace with the woman. He wants to be able to make sure to, that he will have his place to stay there. But I invite you to read with me. Let's go back to the text and let's read what the Bible says here. Beginning now in verse 17. 1 Kings chapter 17 beginning in verse 17. If you found it, you can say amen. If you haven't found it yet, please say wait for me. And if you are all ready, we're going to read 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 17. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you? O man of God, have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God. Have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. And Elijah took the child And brought him down from the upper room into the house. And gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God. And that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. So Elijah takes the son of the widow 
takes him upstairs to his own room, lays the boy in the bed, and the Bible says in verse 21 that he stretches himself out on the child three times. Some people may try to, to think what is the significance of doing that. Is that some sort of magic? Well, Elijah was no magician. Elijah was a prophet. And what he did was not magic. It may have been a practice, a custom of the time. But what really changed the situation is what verse 21 says. So let's go back to verse 21. That even though he stretched himself out on the child three times, nothing happened. Not until he cried out to the Lord and said, Oh Lord my God, I pray let this child's life come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came back to him and he revived. So it was the Lord answering to Elijah's prayer that brought life back to the young man. Brought life back to the boy. It was because he, he cried to the Lord. He asked the Lord. And the Lord operated this miracle. And the boy revived. And then he brought the, son, the boy downstairs and said to the woman, See, your son lives. I got to tell you this today, my friends. That the Son of God lives. He was crucified. He was born as a baby. He grew up to be a man. He walked in the dusty roads of Galilee. He served others. He loved others. He performed miracles. He loved us so much that he decided to lay down his life for us. And he went all the way to the cross. He was crucified. He was bitten. He had a crown of thorns. And he died, but on the third day he rose again. And he lives. That's why the Bible points in the book of Revelation to the Son of Man. Looking as if he had died, but living. And being alive there in the midst of the throne of God. Yes, the Son lives. And because the Son lives, you and I can live as well. And this miracle took place, this one miracle we are studying here, took place in the upper room. While the upper room has been the place where people have experienced different things. You remember when Daniel, a faithful servant of the Lord Almighty, he used to pray three times a day, the Bible says. And then he prayed every day. And then his, his colleagues... In the court, in the government of Babylon were not happy with that. And were trying, they were trying to find something to, to catch Daniel in. And then they would report that to the king. And because they didn't have anything, they made the king uh, write a law that no one could uh, offer prayers or worship anyone else. But Daniel, even though he knew about that, the Bible says that he went to his room upstairs and he continued to pray every day as he used to do and because of that because of that upper room experience Daniel experienced persecution and prison and he was thrown in the lion's den and so in the case of Daniel 
the upper room experience was one of persecution, but eventually of deliverance. And so, if you maybe are uh, suffering persecution, maybe you are being despised because of your faith, maybe people in your family are not talking to you because you decided to be a follower of Christ, maybe there is tension in the family, the Lord has promised deliverance, deliverance as He has delivered Daniel. Maybe you were feeling trapped in spiritual, uh, in spiritual persecution. Maybe you were tormented spiritually, but the upper room, in the upper room, you can find deliverance because God can deliver you. He can deliver you from persecution of other people. He can deliver you from spiritual torment. He can deliver you from spiritual issues. The Lord has power for that. And you must go through your own personal upper room experience as well. The upper room may represent a place of revival as it happened with this young man. You remember the experience of Peter when Peter was in a city and people in a neighbor city uh, saw a lady who helped many people die. Her name was Tabitha or Dorcas. And they sent for Peter. And they called Peter and Peter came. And the Bible says that when Peter got there, they instructed him to go upstairs to the upper room. And Peter went to the upper room and there he found many widows and many people crying because Dorcas had, had died. And she helped and served them all. And so Peter had the people go out and he prayed to the Lord and Dorcas was restored back to life. So the upper room is the place where there is revival. The upper room is the place where people can have an encounter with the Lord and live revived. And so if that's something you need, if that's something you're looking for, if you're looking for forward to restoring your first love, the love you first had, the passion you first had when you accepted Christ, the upper room is the place for that. Because the upper room provides for revival. The upper room provides for reformation. The upper room provides for this encounter with God Himself. The upper room is the place where Thomas, who had many doubts about, uh, about Jesus and about His resurrection, is the place where Thomas was confronted with truth. Where he touched the wounds of Jesus touched his side and he could see for himself that Jesus was real, that Jesus was alive. It all happens in the upper room. If you have been going around in circles, if you have been going around people who are Christians and you don't quite understand why do they follow Jesus. Maybe you have gotten close to people who are Christians. You haven't still grasped why is it that they follow the certain Nazarene who died 2,000 years ago. He died, but he rose again. And people follow him because he has effected changes in the life of people. And maybe if you can't quite understand that, if you got to see for yourself like Thomas, the upper room is the place you got to go to. And the upper room is the place where God is willing to reach us. People have experienced different things in the upper room. 
It was also in the upper room that Judas shut the door of opportunity for himself. It was from the upper room that Judas walked out to never again have a personal encounter with Jesus. And so, this is what happened in this one upper room here. There is someone whose breath was no more. There is someone who needed to be revived. And the prophet of God comes and prays to the Lord. And God delivers power. And the life comes back into that, uh, that body. And that body revives. And that young man revives. And is brought back to life. And so I would encourage you. I would encourage you today. I would encourage you as you go home today. To think about your personal upper room experience with the Lord. Whatever your need may be. There is something that God has reserved for you in the upper room. And it was from the upper room as we'll see later on. In another uh, day. It was from the upper room that the apostles left. Empowered to start the work that changed everything. To found the Christian church. To, 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 uh, to proclaim the gospel through the church that Jesus had founded. Jesus is the founder of the church. But the church was founded on the foundations of the foundation of Jesus and of the apostles as the Bible says. It was from the upper room that they left without any differences, without any desire for position, without one trying to beat the other, one trying to be superior to the other. They left the upper room united in prayer, united in Bible study, united and grounded on the truth. And from that place, they were able to leave and spread the gospel. And the gospel has come all the way down through the centuries to you and to me because of their upper room experience. And so my friends, it will be no different this time around. Because the Bible has promised that if on the day of Pentecost, that wonderful experience that the apostles had, when 3,000 men were converted and baptized. That was called the early rain. That was called the early outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible promises that if there's been an early rain. There will be a latter rain. And this latter rain will be a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That will empower God's people to proclaim and finish the proclamation of the gospel. Both in word and by our living out the gospel within our own lives. And if we have any desire, any, any dream that this would happen in our generation. Then we need to go through this upper room experience ourselves. Don't wait for the church to go, for the upper room to go through the upper room experience. Don't wait for the pastor. Don't wait for the church leadership. We are the church. Each and every one of us makes up the church. And so we must go through the upper room experience. So that things may change. You want to see a church more vibrant. 
You want to see a church that makes a difference in the community. You want to see a church that lives out the gospel. You want to see a church that is not ashamed to hold to their positions because they love Christ. We must have for ourselves the upper room experience in our lives. And so this is my appeal to you today. That you'll find a place in your home that will be your upper room. It may be your own bedroom upstairs if you live in a two-story room. It may be a place in the main level, in the main floor of the, home, the house. It may not even be a physical location. But it's good to have a physical location where you go and have your prayer, where you go and study the Bible, where you go and have your personal communion with the Lord. It is good to, to set aside a place in your home for that. But even if you're not able to have that place, because I understand that some people live, uh, people live in a family that maybe all of them are Christians. And they're all here in church today. All members of the family. Other people live with members of the family who are not Christians. They are not, not even sympathetic to, to anything Christian. And so you may, not, you may not have too much freedom in the place you live. I understand that. So even if you're not able to set aside a specific location in their home, you can have a place in your mind where you can always connect. It is like the gift of time that we have. Every week, every seventh day of the week, the Sabbath comes to us. You don't have to run after it. It comes to us naturally every seventh day of the week. And so it is a gift that God gives to every single person across the globe. If they would only understand it. Same thing can be your upper room experience. You can have a place in time. You can have a place in your mind where you and God will connect. But I tell you from the bottom of my heart. Nothing will change in your life. Nothing will change in my life. Unless... We set aside time and we set aside quality time to spend with the Lord. By reading the Bible and by praying. You cannot expect a relationship. You cannot, ex you cannot expect a marriage to grow. Uh, you cannot expect a friendship to, go to grow if you do not spend time with your friend. If you do not spend time with your spouse. If you do not spend time talking to them, if you do not spend time listening to them, if you do not spend time trying to get to know the person better, and I say to you today, nothing will happen differently in your life unless you decide to set aside time to study the Bible and set aside time to pray to the Lord. Little will change in your life if you set aside just a little time. Little will change in your life. If you decide that God is powerful to, cert to do certain things. But you are going to take care of other things. And most of the time we consume ourselves trying to do things on our own. We consume ourselves trying to resolve things when God is just a prayer away. When his word may be sitting collecting dust on the shelves. And we don't take the Bible to read it. And much of what we're looking for is already here in this book. In the Word of God. 
Sometimes we're looking for a miracle. Sometimes we're thinking if God would only give me an experience like that widow in Zarephath, I would be wholly faithful to him. Well, let me remind you that God operated two miracles for that woman. The first one was that there was always flour, there was always, always, always oil available until rain came back. That was the first miracle and it, would, it should have been enough. But it was only when, when death came to her house. It was only when there was no way out that she turned to the man of God and said, do something. And Elijah prays to God. And after that, the woman says that she recognizes that Elijah was a man of God and that the word of God that he said was true. Sometimes we expect a miracle. Sometimes we expect that God will do something miraculous that will change everything around us. And we forget that there are decisions that we have to make for ourselves. There are things that we have to make for ourselves. When Lazarus was there in the tomb and Jesus came to bring him back to life, Jesus could have said, stone, roll away. And Jesus could have used his power to move the stone away. But he asked the man around to do that. And so there are things that you will have to do for yourself. There are things that I have to do for myself. And it, unless I change that, unless I decide and make a decision to change that, and if I don't have the power to change that, unless I ask the Lord to change that and surrender completely to Him, nothing or little is going to change in your life. And unless you take time to read the Bible, unless you take time to pray, nothing is going to change in your life. It is not your husband, it is not your parent, it is not your pastor, it is not your elder, it is not your sister or brother that is going to read the Bible for you, that is going to pray for you. You have to do that yourself. Now if you don't believe it, come and see. Test, try the Lord. He is so merciful that He said, come on and try me. And see if I'm not going to bless you. But you have to try it for yourself. And the Lord is willing to indulge in your questionings. He is willing to be merciful to you. But go and try Him and test Him. I will say this morning that what the woman, the widow at Zarephath really needed was not so much a miracle. What she really needed was to trust in the Lord. What she really needed was to believe that the Lord is God. Was to believe that His word is true. And so you may be looking for a miracle. You may be expecting a miracle in your life. While the Lord has given you so much evidence that He is able and He is powerful. And it, it, it will be up to you to believe that. No one can believe for you. No one can read the Bible for you. No one can pray for you. In your place I mean. It has to be you. It has to be you to go through your own personal upper room experience. And so I'll end with this.
I will end with an appeal for you to consider this. And to consider that if things have not changed in your life, you may be struggling against the same things as maybe five, ten years ago. And you see yourself falling in the same sins and the same mistakes, same mistakes you have been struggling with for such a long time. I'll tell you that the solution is found in your personal devotion because the Lord has always been powerful. And maybe the miracle you're expecting has already been made. The evidence you're looking for has already been given. And you have only to trust that the word of the Lord is true. Either the Lord is trustworthy or He is not. And if you want to really test it, if you want to really prove it for yourself, so go spend time with Him in your upper room, studying the Word and praying, and the Lord will reveal new things for you, that you have more than enough evidence to trust Him no matter what. I hope this is not only a rhetorical sermon, that you will hear and say, yes, that's good theory. I'm challenging you to put that into practice. No matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, you may be a church member, you may be in this church for 30 years. Maybe you were born in this church, you've been in this church for 50 years. Maybe you are not a member of this church, maybe you are visiting here today. It doesn't matter where you are because the Bible says in Revelation that this gospel, this everlasting gospel, it is good for people in every tribe and nation and peoples all across the world. People from all walks of life. People from all cultural backgrounds. And so like I said, I hope this is not only a theoretical sermon, but I'm really challenging you to put this into practice. And to prove that the Lord is real and good. And you plan and you put into practice this upper room time and experience with the Lord. And prove and see if things are not going to change in your life. You may have all the prayers of the church on your behalf. But there are some things that you must do for yourself. And this the Lord is willing to show you. And to give you the change and the power in the upper room. God bless you all today.